Welcome to our Sport Feels Life podcast, where we're bringing you interviews with coaches and athletes at the top of their game. This is a community to support coaches, athletes, and fans who share a passion for making the world a better place through athletics. We are your hosts. I'm Megan. And I'm Scott. Welcome, Welcome to, to Sport Feels Life. Perfecting your game and realizing peak performance in athletics takes a great deal of a physical ability as well as mental strength. Working through challenges to find your fun is all a part of the growth process. Today, we break down the mental building blocks to find athletic success with our guest, Zach Brandon, who is a mental skills coordinator for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach shares some valuable insights that can help you overcome obstacles to find more joy and focus, hence better performance. Listen on to learn what his three factors are to help athletes gain a competitive advantage for performing at their best. We'll get started here. We got Zach Brandon on today for Sport Fuels Life. Excited to have you on, Zach. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you both for having me. I was looking forward to this and glad we were finally able to find a time for it. Wonderful. And um, so give us a brief little background. We've done some research on you, but if, uh, if you were to tell someone a short little story about who you are, where you got to where you are, um, how would that go? Yeah, the uh, I like that you emphasize short. I'll, I'll try to keep it short here. My the Cliff Notes version of of kind of I guess my path is I'd probably say a, a blend of a few different things. I think one is uh, I, I've always had a passion for athletics and sports, and uh, baseball was kind of my I guess native language when it comes to to sport. But I've I've found that I have a, a deep appreciation for not just traditional athletics and, and other sports, but also just now it's kind of blossomed into other high realms of high performance. And so I've, I feel pretty strongly that everybody is a performer in, in their own way, regardless of their, their industry and profession. And there's times where we all are asked to, to perform in a sense. So um, I've really grown to just appreciate people that are really good at what they do and in, in whatever capacity that might be. So that's always been, I think, uh, a passion area. And then um, I, I was able to kind of build like a foundation for academic training in, in grad school and, and undergrad, uh, kind of blending psychology and kinesiology. So kind of that combination of understanding how the mind works, how the brain works, um, and, and also importantly, how it's connected to the body and how the body moves, how the body develops skills and things. So um, kind of blending those two things together represent um you know some of my academic training which is a fun combo because um, i think it it helps a lot and not only understanding what happens above the shoulders but also um how to how to help bridge gaps with our coaches and our staff to to get players to to move better to get players to um, perform better on the field which obviously requires how they develop physical skills so um anyway my academic background kind of blends that and then uh, finally, I think there's like the professional experience that I've had. So um, I've spent the last, I guess now six plus years kind of full time doing mental performance work and working with athletes and coaches. And that's been a blast because I can guarantee that I've learned more from them than, than they've learned from me. Um, but so it's been really cool to kind of take what I've learned along the way and kind of combine it with the work with them and, and figure out how do you help people become the, the best versions of themselves on and off the field. So um, I think all those things put together have led me to the role that I'm, I'm in now and, and really fortunate to get to do what I do on a daily basis. And so you are with the Arizona Diamondbacks, correct? 
Correct. Yeah. 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 So been there six years. Um, how did you get connected with the Diamondbacks and, and what was your job or your job traffic before that? Yeah. So uh, the six years is kind of just the, the, I guess, combined aggregate of, of my professional, I guess, experience since grad school. So I spent the first uh, two and a half years uh, of my time there actually at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Um, so it was a, it's a sports academy kind of primarily focused on youth, youth athletes and kind of a range of different sports, which was something that I was very grateful for, which again, kind of speaking to the, the passion for other forms of athletics I got to work with, um, not just baseball, but basketball, tennis, uh, track and field, uh, and, and kind of a range of, of other sports when I was there. So um, that was a lot of fun. It was also my first kind of opportunity to kind of be entrenched within teams, which was really great. Like it's wasn't just coming in and doing a workshop or, or doing an individual meeting with a player and then leaving and coming back, you know, a month later and following up. It was being there every day, watching practices, being available um, for not only players, but staff. So that that taught me a lot and uh, was, again, a big portion of that was just being surrounded by really great people. Um, IMG is, is full of very talented practitioners, not only, I think, in the mental conditioning space, but also with coaches, um, other realms of high performance and whatnot. So it was, it was really cool to, to spend time around other staff there. And then, um, and then, so those, that was kind of the front half of my professional career. And now the back half, this is my fourth season with, um, with the Diamondbacks in professional baseball. So it's been, uh, it's honestly kind of is weird to say that. I don't know if you can count the COVID year in that, but it, it makes the whole thing feel like a little bit of a blur and it's been a lot of fun because uh, again I think a theme here is uh, our players staff are, are exceptional and it's fun to to be surrounded by people that are really good at what they do and um, again try to try to take the things that I've learned and and transfer it over to to their work too so yeah this is year four with the team and um, just really really fortunate to show up to work daily doing something that I enjoy. Well, you've certainly taken a fast track in your career. It seems like you've gained a lot of experience in a short amount of time. Um, and I think that's really cool that you even started a foundation while you were in undergrad and then through graduate school. So congrats on that. That's really cool. Um, having experience with both youth and professional, could you speak a little bit on maybe some of the differences that you have seen in your experience when, you know, dealing with mental skills or sports psychology among youth sports to professional sports or even like collegiate in between. Um, do you see any differences in those different levels of sports? You know, there's certainly, it's, it's interesting because I think there's certainly differences, but there's also a lot of similarities. Now the similarities are probably where the actual differences um, truly exist. If that makes any sense, I'll try. Uh, so I think about it um, when I was at IMG, one of the things that we we started to do was was ask questions like when I the beginning of the year would sit down with our coaches and identify, um, you know, what are the things that we're going to focus on in our mental training program? What's this going to look like? I, I think it a lot of times started with questions around what are the qualities and characteristics that we see from the best of the best in this sport, you know, whether again, it's baseball or track and field or basketball or whatever it might be. 
And then from there, once we kind of started to identify kind of some of those characteristics, it, we were able to kind of reverse engineer to figure out, okay, well, how can we, how can we work on that at an individual level, but also create an environment that helps foster those skills as well. So um, I say that because what I would actually say is I think in my experience, a lot of the attributes and characteristics are, are similar between youth and, and professional. Now, where youth are in their own, you know, individual development, psychological, cognitive development, um, and just life, like those certainly play into that. And so it looks a little bit different and maybe how you would cultivate some of that um, with them. But in reality, again, I think that there's, um, there's a lot of um, similarities there between what are those characteristics that uh, separate good from great at, at both levels. Um, and then, you know, at the professional level, I think one thing that is certainly more unique is, is where they're at in their lives, where, um, you know, there's, there's certainly more that is occupying their time and energy beyond just athletics. You know, you start to get to a, a space where people are having families, um, you know, there's these monumental life um, experiences that are starting to take root. Um, people are transitioning throughout their career. And as we know, like who you are when you start your athletic career is often not the exact same as who you are towards the end um, in terms of not just um, physical ability, but, but also on the mental side of things too. So I, I think we certainly see some evolution there in, in, in professional athletes, but I'd say more often than not, I, I actually see some parallels between between both groups. Okay, yeah, I love hearing that answer. And, and you know, uh, we're both pole vaulters, both through high school, college, and then and professionally as well. So uh, we we can understand that transition. But for our listeners, let's let's give uh, let's give a similarity and a specific scenario here. Um, freshman to sophomore in high school starts to get good at athletics. Uh, versus somebody um, first year in the professional leagues. Uh, take us through two different scenarios or something that you've experienced where people both are excited getting going versus, okay, now I'm supposed to be good. And what have you seen in, uh, in maybe two different examples of how, the, how people succeed or, or flounder in those scenarios? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think um, so. One, one example that immediately kind of comes to mind, right, is like the, the youth stage is certainly kind of a critical um, stage for fostering like confidence, right, belief. I think, you know, you can ask, you can pull any coach in the world. Um, more often than not, that's one of the characteristics that they often describe as being important for, for athletics. And so I think at the youth level, that certainly comes into play. So, you know, at that stage, Oftentimes, youth, you know, you're 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 developing skills um, within your sport, which is certainly one of the sources of confidence. Is kind of developing, um, you know, I think the technical term you would use is competence. So you're starting to develop um, a little bit of maybe some mastery of some skills, which certainly brings with it some some confidence and things. Um, you know, you may start to experience some success along the way. Um, so that that youth level is where you start to I think really kind of foster some of that maybe start to see where your strengths might lie within your respective sport um because again those I think those strengths kind of help provide a foundation for not just confidence but but belief in yourself which I think is like one added level deeper uh, it's kind of like this 
I think you you have to add trust into that component. Um, and so I think in, in the youth level, you start to see that, but then at the professional level is, is oftentimes where people are really, um, lack of a better way of saying it, punched in the face for the first time, you know, like it's the first time where for many, um, you know, if they've gotten to the professional level, they've likely experienced a lot of success. Um, and so inevitably at some point in your professional career, you're going to get, you know, challenged, you're going to get um, some adversity thrown your way. Um, and that's a really important kind of, um, I guess, pivot point really for many and, and how you choose to approach that. And, and so I think that that's, a lot of my conversations with professional athletes oftentimes are wrapped around that of helping them kind of cope with the fact that, um, again, they're being maybe challenged for the very first time and how to really like develop a healthy relationship with failure, with challenges. Um, I think we know that perspective plays a really important role in, in um, not just the in the moment, fear or failure that you might experience, but really the, the, what your ability to learn from it and grow from it. So I think there's a lot more of those conversations because in the grand scheme of things our our struggles when we're youth look very different than what they are um, as we get older. And so I think that's one area that I see, uh, again, they, they both share that, that confidence and belief being really important, but the nature of the conversations and what they're experiencing around that, um, I think there's slight nuances and differences. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so considering those two differences and your role being the mental skills coordinator for the Arizona Diamondbacks, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it seems like, you know, in recent years, there has been a growth of roles that, you know, support higher performance, uh, mental health, sports psychology. Um, what's your take on the landscape for, you know, different roles and support and resources out there at both the youth level and professional? Is this something that has recently been growing? Is there still a huge need for it? And what value does, you know, a role in mental health provide for a team? Yeah, that's it's it's a great question and a difficult question because there's so much. Um, I, I think I've seen a lot of variety um, depending on the context and the environment. So I'll, I'll try to give maybe some cliff notes around it. I think one thing I'm really grateful for is the landscape in professional baseball. I think has been very progressive in the form of of. Uh, providing services and support um, around mental well-being. So, and I say that because I think I use the term well-being, which I think is kind of this combination of on one end of the scale, you have performance, which is a lot of the work that I'm doing day to day is helping our athletes thrive on the field. But then there's also the other side of it, which is more, um, as you alluded, like the mental health side of it too, which is um, certainly ensuring that, um, you know, our lives away from the field, um, are, are in a good place, which I think allows us to be our best selves on it. So um, I think baseball has been a, a great driver for that. I, I think our organization, um, I'm very proud in the fact that we, there's myself, um, two other full-time uh, mental skills coaches, um, a third that's part-time. And then um, that's just kind of on that middle 
a middle of the scale, the mental well-being and the performance in, but we also have um, three uh, licensed EAP practitioners or clinicians who provide um, more of the clinical mental health support too. So, I mean, right there we have, you know, six, seven plus um, resources at our disposal, which um, I think provides a, a much more robust program. I think um, the other thing that I, I bring this up too, because one thing that I think baseball has been ahead of the curve on, um, pun intended maybe, is um, <laughs> we, uh, we've been really intentional about having people, practitioners entrenched into the environment and into the organization. So for example, you know, our mental skills team um, that I'm fortunate to get to work with on a daily basis, um, we, we service all of our players. We're there at practices, we're there at games, we're there in the weight room, in the training room, part of maybe rehab, part of um, their time at affiliates um, along their you know professional path. So we're there, we have a lot of touch points with them. On top of that, we also work very closely with our coaches. Um, and I think that that's something that's really important because um, one thing I've kind of seen is there's certainly an uptick in mental health resources, as was mentioned, which is, I think, super exciting. And I think it also has a long way to go because um, one thing we know about human behavior is um, the individual certainly contributes a piece of that, you know, the individual's personality, their skills, um, et cetera, but also the environment actually plays a bigger role in shaping behavior. And the environment's ultimately created by, you know, the coaches, the, the organization. So I think not having people that are entrenched or embedded in, the, in that environment, I think um, maybe doesn't allow for the most opportunity to help. Um, and so I'm hopeful that we are seeing a growth in, in opportunities, but I think that's where I'm hopeful that more people will recognize that um, employing somebody like a mental performance coach or mental performance consultant and kind of bringing them in to service a team and be entrenched. Like, I think that really provides the biggest bang for your buck. And so um, unfortunately, not a lot of teams and organizations are, are quite at that level. I think we're starting to see some, some pockets of that, but um, in other sports, again, baseball, I think has been ahead of, ahead of things, but um, I'm hopeful that that continues to grow. And I think um, the last thing I'll add on that is I think that's why so much of my work I'd say in the last four years has evolved to work more with coaches because they play such a critical role in shaping that environment for players. And they're also the ones um, in the trenches having daily conversations, like whether they signed up for it or not, they're mental skills coaches. So um, in, in equipping them, empowering them to have some of those conversations that we may have with players or work to and through the coaches to help athletes, I think is, is something that more I'm hopeful we'll be able to eventually um, take advantage of. No, that's uh, that leads perfectly into my next uh, comment question discussion. So uh, say you're in uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas, and you're a youth sports uh, parent and a youth sports coach, and there's no professional leagues, there's no big college leagues besides Arkansas State. I just picked that because we have friends out there. It's random, but uh, so and there's no mental skills coaches around. What what's something that you would say uh, you can help both parents and coaches anywhere that doesn't have high resource access 
uh, to build that um, empowering culture or understanding for youth sports that it's okay to it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to develop. It's okay to be um, worried, upset, things of those nature where where you don't have someone else to talk to, but a parent or a coach can actually encourage growth and support youth athletes so that they don't find themselves so caught up in in potentially performance anxiety or even potential depression from needing absolute sports because we've seen such a huge shift in youth athletics going to year-round athletics and it's so much intensity for young kids who when I, I remember I played every sport I could whenever I could as much as I could now I geared towards one or two but um, what what's some tips or, or encouraging facts that you could help with uh, coaches and parents learn to provide those environments or athletes who are dealing with maybe not the best scenario? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you you mentioned that. Um, I uh, I was thinking about it on my drive in actually to work today. That uh, I mean the landscape in youth sport has changed a lot. Um, even since I'm sure all of us uh, on here have were, were athletes at that level, and so. Um, I think with that, there's there has been a growing shift in terms of different pressures, different challenges that youth now are facing that um, youth of the past may not have experienced as much. And, um, you know, I think there's some to your point, there's some really important things that can be done. I think I think there's a few things that initially come to mind. I, I think um, one aspect of, of sport that's really important, I think, in general is like at the youth level, I think well, part of our our ultimate goal is to to create this really healthy relationship with with the sport itself right like you don't want athletes young athletes to lose that um, we know that there's a ton of value in bringing things like joy um, and uh, into kind of the practice experience into the sport experience uh, it's it's something that you know even from a performance standpoint uh, we know that more joy is often indicative of greater engagement and focus, which we know that to be um, in what's kind of called the flow state, right? Like being in the zone like that, those are two essential components of that. And joy can kind of help create an environment that's joy-filled can be a great catalyst for that. And, you know, we're talking about it at the youth state, at the youth level. Um, it, it actually applies, I think, at all levels. Um, a great example, maybe jumping slightly on the bandwagon here a little bit. Um, you know, the Golden State Warriors just won the NBA championship. And I think it's garnered a little bit of public attention in the last couple of years. But Steve Kerr has four core values that he that shapes his coaching practice and how he creates their culture. And one of them is joy. I mean, you have the coach for one of the best teams and this year the best team in professional basketball. And one of their main themes is, is how do we bring joy to our, our practices, our lives, um, both on and off the court. So I think that that's really cool. So um, I think that's important for the youth level, especially because um, I think we also see or have seen trends of kids getting burnt out and, and dropping out of sport. And, and we know that not only whether or not they, they play collegiately or professionally in sport, there's a ton of value. There's um. There's one survey out there that a group did where actually, um, and this was particularly around um, women, particularly that women who participated in youth sports, um, 94 or 94% of C-suite women executives played sports. I mean, that's pretty remarkable 
in, in a lot of ways. Um, and so the last thing I think we would want to do as coaches or as parents is create an environment where it moves us further away from finding joy and fulfillment in what they're doing. And so um, we want them to develop again, I think that healthy relationship with the sport. So keeping that in mind that um, there, that needs to be something that's valued um, and what you value, you demonstrate and how you create practice environments, how you talk to players, um, all of those things kind of come into play. So. I think that that's one thing that um, I don't know if that's a, a tip per se, but just something that I do think is really important for parents and coaches to consider. I think the other thing too is um, mental skills work. Um, yes, there's, I think there's a lot of, there's a ton of great practitioners out there. I think there's also um, a ton of affordable opportunities to work with mental skills coaches that, that do exist, but also um, there's nothing keeping coaches from, teaching mental skills in their daily practice and training environments too. So, um, you know, the core cardinal mental skills, um, oftentimes I feel like are things like attention and focus, um, imagery or visualization, breathing, um, and, and just kind of like self-talk or managing your own kind of inner voice. Like those are all things that you can find creative ways to, to incorporate, um, you know, regardless of kind of the level. Um, and so I think thinking about some of those would be um, helpful uh, in a lot of ways. And, and again, I think parents can play a role. I think some of the parents that I've seen do a really great job of raising kind of mental strength in their kids. Um, they encourage them now that there's more resources than ever before, whether you work with somebody directly whether you find books, whether you find podcasts like this one, um, videos, et cetera, like there's a lot of really good resources out there now. And, and I think um, being able to kind of have some healthy conversations around it, it would go a long way too. So it's not just, hey, go read this and apply it on your own. Hopefully it's something where the, the more parents and coaches can make it a two-way conversation, the more um, that those things be, are shown that they're important and and therefore they're reinforced in how somebody um, behaves um, again in practice competition or in life uh, yeah that, that's a lot of great information and a lot of good touching points because I think joy is is something if, if the best athletes in the world the best coaches in the world in their respective events are focusing on joy then we should try to remember that we want our kids to play sports for the joy of it and the lessons learned. So um, I do appreciate that answer and a lot of great information, but uh, give me two books. You talked about books. What are your top two recommendations right now for, for parents, coaches, and athletes to read if they were to read into something? Yeah, I think um, a couple easy starting points. One is um, a good friend and colleague in our field. His name's uh, Justin Sua. He's the mental performance coach for the, um, the Tampa Bay Rays. He, uh, he wrote a book several years ago called Parent Pep Talks. Um, and I think it's a phenomenal resource for parents. I actually shared it with one of our, our players recently. Um, we were having a lot of conversations around the mental game. And he was like, you know, I found that more often than not, these conversations aren't just helpful for me, but they're, they're also things that I want to instill in my kids. Um, and so I, I shared with him uh, Sue's book and it's now been something where as he reads chapters, we go through it together and we kind of talk about it and uh, again, apply it to his kids as well as his, his career. Um, and then the other one is um, 
I think it's kind of a staple within the mental game is, is called mind gym. And it's a really simple, easy book. Um, but it, that book. It's great, yeah, it's a great introduction to mental skills. That's one of the reasons I like it. It gives you some, some concrete practical examples of what some of the best athletes do and how they use it. But I think it's, it's, I found it to be a really good starting point for many as an introduction to the mental game. Yeah. And kind of going off of that, it, I know we mentioned earlier, the more, there are so many resources out there for, you know, sharpening your mental skills. And with that, we've also improved the performance, you know, at all across the board, all sports, just athletes are performing better younger on and even having longer careers. Um, and so I think having a strong mentality plays a huge role in that. Um, but I like that you also mentioned the joy. I think that is something that we really do um, have to remember because sometimes we just put so much pressure on ourselves as athletes. And um, something else you mentioned was you work so closely with the coaches. Um, that kind of made me curious. So I'm sure that coaches have similar conversations with their athletes year after year because maybe they're seeing similar problems. And so um, have you seen any like recurring issues or themes that you kind of have to dive deeper into helping athletes? Maybe they're struggling with some of the same things each year. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's certainly some patterns, some things where um, you start having a conversation with somebody and you realize, oh, we've, we've been, I've been here before with someone else, like someone else is. Um, this is a theme maybe that that guys experience. So there, there's certainly ones. Um, I'll kind of, I'll give two answers. One, um, one that's kind of wrapped a little bit around coaches, because I know you kind of started the question a little, little bit of work with them. Um, I think one thing that we see a lot is um, our one question I hear a lot from coaches is how do we get players to trust themselves more? Um, you know, again, it's, I think it's a little bit deeper than just how do you help somebody be confident? Um, and I had a really good conversation with a few of our, our hitting coaches recently. And, um, it was a really cool conversation because what we found is that we kind of boiled it down to three things, and this is maybe oversimplified and we've probably have, um, there's other factors that may contribute, but the three things that we, we identified as to where trust gets broken down for players is one is controllables. So the reason I bring up controllables is it's a lot easier to trust something that you can control versus something that you can't. So a good example of that there's so many athletes that put a lot of stock in their preparation, their effort, their, 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 you know, how many swings that they take in the cages, how many reps that they do in the weight room or in practice. And those are all important. Um, and it makes sense as to why there's a lot of trust wrapped into those things is because as humans, we don't like things that are um, outside of our control. Like those things often create a lot of like inner friction for us. And so we put a lot of stock in that. Um, but what we found is there's the old adage. I think it's, in my opinion, it's probably the most popular mental game buzz phrase, which is control what you can control. But I think there's a second part of that sentence that gets forgotten and is actually far more difficult, which is to let go of the things you can't control. Um, and so 
I found that where trust gets broken down a lot of times with athletes is there's too much energy and focus on the things that are outside of it. Um, in reality, there's a lot of things that go into our performance and in life that are we don't have much influence over. Um, and yet we put a lot of stock into those things, whether they be results, whether they be accolades, whether they be other people's um, uh, perceptions of us, uh, all those things we, we don't have a ton of influence over. And so something that's really important to like building trust is again, I think not only controlling what you can control, but letting go of what you can't. So that's the first one is controllables. The second level is um, vulnerability. So I, I bring up vulnerability, which maybe isn't a term that gets thrown around a lot in the sport realm. Uh, another variation of it that I think is similar is courage, because I think vulnerability to me is having the courage to acknowledge what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're going through, accepting what you have on a given day, because rarely do we feel 100%. Um, that's most often than I tell pitchers and our pitchers kind of confirm it that if you get 30 starts a year, you're going to have five or six that are amazing, five or six that are horrible, and then a bunch in the middle that ultimately define your season. Um, and it's kind of having the courage that when you don't have your A game, um, that you have enough on that given day to still perform. And that takes some vulnerability. That takes um, a willingness to take a risk and a chance on yourself. Um, and so I think that that's something that's really important. Um, so I, again, I think vulnerability kind of ties into that. And then the last one is we called it simplicity because um, what we found is that sport oftentimes is pretty simple, but human beings are actually pretty complex and we make it way harder than it really is. Um, and so a, a telltale sign that I often see when an athlete isn't trusting themselves is when they're trying to, um, they're looking to too many things at once to try to solve what they're going through. Um, they, they're making it more complex than what it needs to be. But I think if you can sift your focus down to what's most essential and one thing, that to me is a signal that you're, you're trusting yourself, you're not getting in your own way. Um, and, and so together, those three things, I think, really come into play um, with, our, with our players as, as how do we kind of cultivate trust. Again, that's probably one of those, those themes that I hear more often than not. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is um, I think there's this scale of trust on one side and fear on the other. Um, and so the other big theme that I probably spend a lot of time discussing with athletes is fear. And it's most guys' least favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> um, we don't like being afraid. We don't like being afraid. <laughs> we don't like uncertainty. We don't like um, ambiguity. We don't like these things that are often components of fear. And, um, you know, our brains are, are wired in a way where we'll do whatever it takes to avoid things that create fear for us. So um, I, I've told players like fear, I think, is the most underappreciated and valued um, relationship in your life. Like you, unless you can develop a healthy relationship with the fear that you may experience, um, that to me, un, an, un, an unwillingness or inability to do that, I think 
never allows you to truly reach your full potential. Um, and so um, that's, I think, something that comes up a lot in conversations. And I think, um, how, do we, how do we manage those as coaches, as practitioners, as parents, I think is to help people change their relationship with fear and start to see it as something that actually um, is something you can use in the moment. It provides adrenaline, it provides energy, it can help kind of sharpen focus on what maybe is, is important. You can use it to your advantage in competition. And then outside of the game, um, it's really important because um, we, our environment and our society, I think is a, a funny way of conditioning fear in all of us. And so um, learning to recognize that and learning to recognize how fear might be kind of running in the background of your life is, is an important starting point. Like once you become aware of it and then you accept it, then you can actually um, I, I think the third level is action. Like you can then do something about it and do the work with it. So um, with fear, it kind of boils down to those three things, um, awareness, acceptance, and action. So um, I think those are, those are just two things. I, I bring them both up because I, I actually think they go kind of hand in hand and they're on different ends of the spectrum. But um, I would say those are very popular conversations. Man, that was some gold right there. I don't even remember what my original question was, but I probably uh, went off topic. No, so I, I love all that. And it it's also familiar and it made me think it's so funny being on the outside and watching an athlete go through the the fear and you know, you mentioned the controllables, the vulnerability and the simplicity, and how athletes are so complex, humans are so complex. And when you're watching someone go through a struggle from the outside, you're like, oh, well, just do it. Like it's, it's not that hard or it's not that scary, but when you're that actual human feeling those emotions and that fear that's holding them back, um, I'm sure this is something that is both your least favorite and most favorite part of your job is working through those issues. And it may be feeling very redundant, but it just ultimately takes that athlete to figure it out on their own. And you can provide them all the tools, but you can't force them into that breakthrough. Like they have to use these tools that you shared with them, but they have to ultimately go through it themselves and figure it out and find that other side um, to the fear or whatever their struggle is. Yeah, that that's a terrific point. Like, I think that that hits the nail on the head where, I can't tell you how many times, um, and I had this conversation with a coach the other day, because I think he's felt it too, where there's sometimes um, athletes need honestly just a space to kind of get things off their chest and get things out of their mind. And it helps kind of organize it and, and bring some clarity. And, and in those conversations, just by simply asking some questions and maybe guiding them a little bit versus telling them, hey, this is what I want you to think, or this is what I want you to do simply just asking those questions oftentimes can reveal the answers to themselves. And that to me is where those, to use your word, I think breakthroughs can really come through is, and they're, they're often far more empowering for the athlete. Um, I, I um, will always say that the, um, how, how does it go? Yeah. I just lost my train of thought with it. The, uh, the adage is like, sometimes it's better to ask the right question than it is to have the right answer. Um, and, I, and I think that that's something that, again, 
not as isn't just relevant for a mental performance coach, but for coaches in general, um, parents, our, our questions can kind of the questions we ask guide our focus. And so if you want to help somebody uncover their own solutions and their own potential, then you really have to ask the right questions. And um, that I think is, is perfectly described in, in what you shared. So I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I think it's um, also so important to face those challenges and that fear. But like you said, also just take a step away. Um, I guess for any athlete who may kind of be struggling with finding that balance between having fun in their sport and finding that intensity to get to the next level, you know, maybe they're at a point that they're a little paralyzed by trying to overdo it. But I think it's um, a great reminder that we do have seasons for a reason. And so there is, you know, a time to step away and have some fun, you know, take a little break. Um, and, you know, maybe it will just time will help things work itself out, but just doing the little things um, that you actually enjoy with that sport. So, you know, aside from, you know, maybe taking some time to yourself, um, do you have any other pieces of advice for maybe adding more fun back into the sport and finding the why to, you know, why you chose that sport? Why, why do you actually love it? Yeah, um, good, good question. I'll, I'll give uh, two, two thoughts. So one is, um, I, I, I heard this concept, um, or I, I read this article about a, a college football coach who had had a lot of success um, in the game, and he actually ended up walking away from it pretty early on, like it actually shocked a lot of people. Um, he was kind of at, you know, maybe the peak point of his career at a really good program. And um, and he walked away and about a year later, they did an interview with him, I think in the athletic. And um, one of the things that he said was really important for him as he transitioned away from the sport is he realized that there's society scoreboard and then there's your own personal scoreboard. Um, and he said, society scoreboard is things like wins, money, fame, accolades, um, achievements, the, you know, the box score, um, you know, your stats, et cetera. Those are the things that oftentimes society deems as most important. And he said, what I had to learn was that we each have a personal scoreboard that I can't tell you what yours is and you can't tell me what mine is, but it's really important that you take time to define what your own scoreboard is. And, and what that becomes is, I think, a barometer for you to measure um, success, but more importantly, experience like fulfillment, because I think that that's where joy kind of lives is, um, you know, if we're if we're doing things that we don't truly value, then it, it actually becomes pretty hollow. Um, and the, the six, quote unquote successes that we experience are more shallow than deep. And so um, I think one of the things that I've, some of my favorite conversations I've had with players have often been wrapped around values um, and, and helping them understand and recognize the things that they do care about. Um, once you identify the things that you value, it becomes easier to free yourself from the things that you don't. So um, in reality, like you can't care about everything. Like that just doesn't, doesn't work. So, um, identifying the things that you do and then making sure that portions of your day are aligned with those things is really important um, or in your practice setting. So whatever that might be. And, and I think that that's 
that's one way that I, I like to think about it. Um, and then the other thing that I would, I would think about too is um, there's, you know, your values and your personal scoreboard. And then you asked one other thing and I'm drawing a blank on what I was going to say here. You, can you remind me your exact? Uh, yeah, just bringing the fun back in sports. The, the finding the why. Yeah, that's it. Why okay. you love your sport. Thank you. You just, you nailed it. Okay. Yeah. So the, the other thing I think, and this is, I think maybe a good exercise for like youth, especially is there's a difference between the things that we have to do in our sport. And then sometimes the things that we love to do in our sport. Um, and so almost making two lists and, and separating those out and, and understanding that there are going to be times where you have to do something that you won't love. Um, the higher you go up levels, the more of that, like the longer that list might become, you know? And so part of that is an acceptance and acknowledgement that like, hey, the things that you don't really enjoy about your sport, the struggle, um, the early morning wake-ups, the, the difficult workouts, the, the failure on the field, like that's kind of part of the, what you sign up for. Um, and there's an acceptance there, but then for the things that you love doing, I, I think you kind of nailed it when, when you described um, asking yourself, like, what is it about that? Like, why does that kind of fuel you? Like, what, what is kind of the driver behind those things? What is it that you love? Because what it does is it starts to help you define success in a different way. It helps you define that personal scoreboard for yourself. Because then what you can do is once you've done that, you start to have, you can start to have an antenna up to celebrate successes in that area um, and, and to encourage or find ways to incorporate that into just your daily life. So I think that that's, um, those would be a couple of ways is I think kind of identifying those love, love to do's versus have to do's, but then also um, taking some time to define whatever your personal scoreboard is and uh, again, those are rooted in your values to me is, is an important part because you can have all those achievements that society will tell you, but if any of those things in your personal scoreboard, if none of those things are met, it's not going to be fulfilling. I love your reference to the personal scoreboard. And it reminds me of this <laughs> big hill challenge that we're doing with Sean Swarner. He's a guest who we had on the podcast not too long ago, but he's a two-time cancer survivor. He's climbed the highest peak in every continent. He is incredible and so inspiring, but we have been going through this core values assessment and it's, I think, huge in sports and it's so helpful in life outside of sports as well. Um, just finding what your core values are and focus and you learn about yourself by actually taking the time to think about, well, what do I actually love? What, what is important to me? And it can change over time. So it is important to reevaluate, but I think that would be a great tool to do at the beginning of a season. Um, just kind of evaluate yourself and make sure you are taking those steps towards doing more of what you love. Cause in sports, you know, and in training, especially, you know, Scott says it a lot, you have to also work on your weaknesses. So for me, I hate weighted pull-ups, but you got to do them. <laughs> Depending on what you want. And what, one thing I'll say is I really love, in, in my mind, I'm a very logical thinker. And this whole conversation, you've done a phenomenal job of creating simple thought. Um, I, I, I'm going to say paradoxes, but it's not a paradox, right? Simple thought um, versus, for lack of a better term right now, right? Everything you said is 
Well, think about it this way or this way. So your perspective makes it very simple for everyone to understand. It's like a T-chart, yeah. right? You have the consequences and, and the positives, the negatives versus the positives. So I love that, right? Personal scoreboard versus society scoreboard. Uh, things we love, things we have to do, right? Trust versus fear. So it's it's a wonderful way for all, all our listeners to understand really how to dive into your own struggles or, or maybe even look at someone's successes. Why are they doing better than I am? Or how do I get better for myself because I, I'm making it overcomplicated or trying to find a way to make it simple? And then just like you said, are my core values, and as she said with, with our previous podcast, Sean Swarner, are my core values aligned with what I'm trying to accomplish? Or you're just constantly playing that tug of war within yourself to go out here and do these hard workouts when you don't really want to. Um, so I, I love that. I love, I love this conversation, this podcast and, and how well and clear spoken you are for, uh, for anyone to listen and understand and hopefully take these ideas back with them and, uh, and find success with both themselves or their team, their coaches, you know, whoever they might be working with and, and share that mental awareness and mental aptitude um, and pass it on. I, I want to appreciate that. I know I have a tendency to ramble and go in a lot of different directions. So I appreciate the, the kind words, but I, I think it's, um, yeah, you, you, you said you may not be the right word. I actually think you hit the nail on the head. Like paradoxes is probably a really good term because I think there's a lot of them that exist in sport and in life. And uh, a quick side note, a friend, uh, a colleague of mine that I get to work with, we've joked that, um, at some point, we're going to write a book that's, uh, you know, each chapter, it's going to have a different theme. And the start of the chapter, we're going to be like, here's do like do X, Y, Z. Here's all the reasons why to do it. And then the second half is, but here's all the reasons why not to do it. <laughs> I wish sometimes there were definitive, you know, X, Y, Z things that we can do. But to your point, there's often consequences or there's there's um, side effects with it. So um, that's part of life is just learning to kind of be okay with that. And uh, I think it's something that the more we can develop as athletes, as performers, as coaches, parents, um, the easier it becomes for us to develop a, a better relationship with them. Well, any other closing notes? Well, I do like to get one personal memory that really sticks out something that uh, that brings you joy and happiness in your experience that some somebody your story that you've made an impact that uh, makes you smile every time you get reminded of it oh yeah that's a good that's a good one um I wasn't prepared for that one um <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe was, just any yeah personal or fulfilling breakthrough. It could be baseball yeah. related. It could be any sport. Sure, sure. I I think um, I think it's kind of twofold. Maybe like one thing I I love is getting to be part of a team. Um, and you know having other mental skill staff and working really closely with some of our other support staff and coaches. Like um, I think some of the 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 breakthroughs for me have, have also been a product of them and conversations and learning from them. And, um, you know, I, I get just as much satisfaction or joy from seeing somebody who's, um, you know, a coach or a, a, a trainer or, a, you know, seeing our mental skills team. Um, I've seen some of our mental skills coaches do some phenomenal work with our players and, and staff. And so seeing some of that has been really cool because it's allowed me to be kind of a have a front row seat to see people who are doing really great work and making those impacts. So that would be one. Um, 
and then I think in general, like this isn't one example, but I think um, in one of the things that's really fun about this role is you get to see the behind the scenes work that people do and the things that maybe the public isn't always aware of. And as we know that that's gonna have a combination of peaks and valleys, again, and sometimes a lot of valleys. And so to, to have been part of some of our players' journeys, especially as they've gone through some deep valleys in their careers and see them kind of break through at the end and, and maybe get called up to the big leagues or, or have some success, like, those have been really cool. Um, we're certainly a small piece of that puzzle, but um, it's uh, those are really fun to see, more so just to see how much joy that they get to experience. Um, since you guys like joy, the last thing I'll say is uh, you'll like this term. Uh, there's a term called mudita. Have you ever heard of this? No, mudita? Yeah, mudita. So it's M-U-D-I-T-A. And it's something that we've talked a little bit about with, with our players of, um, it kind of loosely translates. It's, it's like a, a Buddhism term that loosely translates to um, vicarious joy or finding joy in other people's successes. And I like this term a lot because again, like we're, we're part of a team here and um, success doesn't have to be scarce. Again, it can be abundant. Like I think just because you experience success doesn't mean that I can't. Um, sometimes it can feel that way, but um, I think learning to find joy in other people's successes or, or experience Mudita to me is I think uh, a really cool part of, of the role and something that um, it's really hard to be down on yourself when you're busy picking somebody else up. So I, I think that um, that's something that we talk a lot about with, with players here and there. And um, again, it ties into the joy piece. So in my role, I get to experience that a lot. So that's something that I definitely enjoy. And I feel like that whole topic could be an entire podcast. Probably. You're, you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. Yeah, but it is. So that tricky. can be a part two. Yeah, part yeah. two. We'll, um, we'll, we'll call you back up in a month. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, that, you know, sharing that positive energy, it is contagious. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a really good reminder to see joy and success. It's not finite. It, it is, you know, as abundant as you would like it to be. For sure. No, completely agree. Yeah, we, we've gone through so many great topics here, um, things that everyone can use to help in their mental game, in their team's mental game. Um, so we really do appreciate your time here today with us at Sport Fuels Life. Zach Brandon with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, thank you so much and uh, great success for you guys the rest of the summer. Thank, yeah, thank you both so much. I appreciated the questions and, and the conversation. Yeah, this has been a fun time. We'll have to bring you back on. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I appreciate you both. All right. Thank you. Well, good luck to you. Yep. Thank you. Yep. And uh, yeah, we'll see you, Zach. Have a great one. Please, yeah, please stay in touch. Anything I can do. All right. For sure. Take care. All right. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. If you like this episode, please subscribe and consider leaving us a review so others can find us more easily. It really means a lot to us and it helps us get the word out. We're always looking for new stories to share here on our show. If you know someone they would be a great guest, tell us their story by nominating them on our website at sportfuelslife.com. Thanks, Thanks for listening. For listening.